This podcast is supported by listeners like you. We're grateful for your tax-deductible donation at newthoughtphilly.org or the link in the episode description. A practical prayer is a prayer that works. These discussions between Reverend Bill Marcioni and Carol Lawrence dive into the details of how it works and how to work it. Reverend Bill is a New Thought minister and the author of Practical Prayer for Real Results. Your new life begins with a new thought. Carol Lawrence is on a spiritual quest, finding the New Thought teaching after decades on the pulpit in three different traditional denominations. I've got some questions. Together, they're exploring the philosophy and activities that come together from many of the world's religions to create the practical spirituality that is New Thought. Welcome to the Practical Prayer Podcast. I'm Carol Lawrence here with Reverend Bill Marcioni, and today we're going to talk about oneness. Oneness. Okay. Yes. And I let you surprise me and not tell me the topic ahead of time. So go ahead. What do you want to talk about about oneness? Well, unity, because that's the first, the first step is unity. And so I guess those words could be synonymous, but I want to make sure. Unity is the structure, and oneness is the experience of that structure, I think. Yeah. And I'll tell you the part that's gotten my attention lately, and this is not, by the way, me changing the subject. Uh, This is actually on topic, which is that we can't blame God. If people are blaming God because things aren't going their way, then they've missed the point. And that's kind of something that I've, I've become passionate about, is... Oh, this didn't happen because God didn't want me to have it. It's not part of God's plan for me to have this good that I was seeking. And it's like you just you're, you're using God as a scapegoat. Don't don't do that. Stop it. One creative power, and we're aligned with it, and we are using that creative power to create our lives according to our beliefs. So, if it's not going the way I want it to go, then there's some sort of a disconnect between my belief and my desire. What it has to do with God is oneness, because it's all part of the one. And I get to get myself into alignment to get a different experience rather than just blame it on God and move on and get to experience a little bit of self-pity. That's that's a hard hurdle for some to jump. Um, Oh, I think that based on these conversations we've been doing for the last half a year, that's the big one. That's the big one. It is very, very comfortable to have a God outside of me who I can ask for stuff, and when it shows up, be grateful to God outside of me and say, thank you, God, and count my blessings and do a little happy dance because I was so lucky and fortunate. And an answered prayer and a winning lotto ticket are the same thing because I won, as opposed to the philosophy that I've been talking about and living, which is that it's all an inside job. We are creating our own experience, and if I'm not getting the experience that I want, it's because I'm creating something that's not to my liking. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's like cognizant dissidence, dissonance, where you hold a belief, and no matter what the facts are, you just fight. And, and I'm using that word fight deliberately. You know, yeah. you, you struggle to hold on to that which you believe. One, because it's, maybe it's a fear of uh, 
letting go of it and, and what's the new belief going to be. And I'm not saying this from personal experience. I'm saying this from a personal understanding of letting go and p- taking something new. I always thought in my mind somehow, it, and I couldn't have explained it, but I always believed that we were responsible, that it wasn't God, it wasn't the devil. It was somehow us. And and I wasn't able to explain it, but that's what I thought. Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think that you were onto something and finding the framework for explaining it and living it is uh, has been a little elusive yes. when you're here now which is good <laughs> yeah but try- <laughs> it's it's so funny because it's like trying to find somebody that would understand what you think and what you really believe is true but there isn't anybody who understands it the way you do so maybe i'm just crazy and and i thought well i'm not just crazy but we're well, not I'm just sorry. crazy you're crazy in a bunch of other things too yeah. So <laughs> it's a, there's an and. <laughs> yeah, there's an and. But, you know, I was I was really happy to find this in New Thought because nothing else made sense. Um, I couldn't understand a God and something that God created warring with each other for what end and me being a pawn in this war, you know. And, I mean, we could go on forever like that. Yeah. But the other part of it is, so I have I have no power in this at all. Um, the devil made me do it. I don't think so because I really don't want to do it, right? So I'm not, <laughs> so, so I'm not doing. The, the devil made me do it. What a great excuse! I didn't want to do that to her. I didn't want to take that away from him. I didn't want to drink that drink. But the devil made me do it. Blame game again. And it's God dressed up as the devil this time. It's a power outside of me that made me do that, and I'm just a pawn. Yeah, and at any point, you know, you can make a different decision. There, there would be times, and I reflect back to my, my 20s when I was really doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was probably stuff I've been doing in, in between, but those are the <laughs> years that kind of <laughs> stick out. And I can remember moments that I would think, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't really want to do this. I, you know, I made a choice. I was like at that moment of choice, and I actually made the choice that sometimes was not a good one. But I did it with full knowledge, knowing that I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So where does the devil play a role in this? There, you know, it's like no yeah. way. Well, and in our own personal philosophy, there's no need for a devil, and. My and I, I'm sure this is judgment on my part when I hear people say that it's the devil that made him do that, and it's 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 a cop out. It's a way of ducking responsibility or accountability for whatever it is that they've created. You know, I was just following orders. No, they were bad orders, and it was something that was uh, inappropriate, unethical, or illegal. And you can't just blame it on the person who gave the orders. Get one of those orders. You got to say, mm, not me, not me. I was. Um... This I I probably shouldn't like tell all these stories, but I do. I love them. Tell them. Tell them. <laughs> like, okay, so I was going to a church, and this is when I first, you know, found the truth or whatever it is. You know, it's a fundamentalist church, and I was you go to Bible study, and it was five nights a week. The only night wow. you had off was Saturday, 
And so it was, a, you know, a group of us, and we would be there when the doors opened and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I hadn't quite all the way converted from bad behavior. I was really trying. <laughs> I was really trying. But, you know, there were temptations there. And this was, here's the thing. I was driving home, and there's a stoplight you get to. If I turned right, I'm going home. If I turned left, I'm going <laughs> in the direction of sin. <laughs> that makes it pretty obvious. Okay, so I'm, look, I would get to this traffic light, and this is after Bible study. And most of the time, I would just turn right without even thinking. But there were some times I would get to that light and let it change from green to red to green to red because I wanted to turn left. And I'm going to, and to be honest, I didn't always turn right. <laughs> there mm -hmm. were times I made that left hand turn. And, but it was never the devil. And I haven't figured out where God plays a role in this either because I don't want to think like, you know, God is telling me what good to do and the devil is telling me what bad to do. I just can tell you, I would be at that light and I would make a decision. Mm -hmm. And I would make a decision that I would be pleased with or not pleased with. Pleased at the time, pissed later. Right. So. Or, or yeah. Yeah. Or, so, or, or uh, pissed at the time and pleased later. If you, if you yeah, made the right turn and went home, yeah. it's like, okay, I'm proud of myself for this behavior, but I'm missing out. But at, at every time, every moment, I always believed God was there because he has a seat in my car. Mm -hmm. He always had a seat in the car. So he is God the seat is in there. your car. But I know that thing. Like there, <laughs> this is where God sits, right? And I even say to, if somebody got in, you know, I got to, like, listen, God, you got to get in the back. I can't explain you sitting here and there in the back. So you got to get in the back. <laughs> so, so I would, you know, make this left turn, fully aware that God is with me going in the direction. And I'm saying, look, you understand this. I'm just, you know, just sit here. <laughs> just just wait. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, is, is the other part that's pretty harsh about this teaching and also very liberating, is that God loves you so much that God doesn't care what you do. You have this infinite creative gift, the ability to choose, and God does not care what your choices are. You're fully accountable for them. You're going to reap the consequences of whatever it is that you've set out to do. And God doesn't have a bet on the table. God is okay. Not just okay, but God loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do that's going to get rid of that love. And that is, that's so amazing because uh, there's a scripture that says it's the love of God that leads a man or woman to repentance. And when I would hear someone preach that sermon or use that text as a sermon, they, it was never preached the way that I received it and from reading it. I felt it and understood it exactly the way you said it. It's the love of God that, and, and if you want to take the word out of leads one to repentance, it's the love of God that leads you to understand the love of God. The um, the one what God is really you know and I don't want to say oneness because that's a little bit more mature down the road <laughs> but to understand the 
to put it personally the way it was for me, I would know that I'm out of line. And then, but the love of, to know that God still loved me, even when, not mistakes, but when I made a conscious choice. And I'm thinking like, God still loves me because that's what that scripture says. Even though nobody else believes it the way I see it, that's what it says because this is what I'm living. And I'd, I could make a bad choice and then God is still there. You know, I get back in the car and God is still there. Or something wonderful would happen, which is what you equate the goodness of God with. And I'm thinking, I don't deserve this because I was just like messing up. But that's how God is. So now it's coming together in a different way. But I always believed that. I had to. Yeah, the repentance and the love of God are not connected. The love of God is continuous and unconditional and without question. And the repentance is your behavior your activity, you're noticing that you're not in alignment or accord with the person you want to be and getting to make a choice. So yeah. bad behavior, God loves you. Good behavior, God loves you. And you do too. And and that is a sobering thing. You know, you, you just, I think you have to sit with that a long time, uh, maybe years to really understand that because love is connected to conditions and right behavior and right actions, not just with God, but with people. You know, people love you because, mm -hmm. not in spite of. They love you because. And so you want to get rid of all of the other stuff so that I can be loved and lovable. And, but then as, you look, as, as a human being. As a human, right. As, as a divine and perfect expression of God's infinite love, you are always loved. You are always lovable. That's always there on an infinite divine level. But you have to come to that because I didn't know that kind of love. You know, oh. and I'm going down a way, a road I didn't mean to go down. But, you know, there was a song, I think it was in the, in the 80s, and I mentioned it to you because you were in radio and I thought, he'll know I was in the, I was in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and he will know what I'm saying. The song says, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Mm -hmm. I want to feel what love is. And and that song, when I heard that, it blew me away entirely. Because it was a love song, you know. But I used to sing love songs to God and change the words and whatever, whatever. And when <laughs> that song came out, I was like blown away because it touched something inside of me. I had not known what love was. I had not known that. I can never remember going to bed at night feeling loved by my mom. My dad, wow. he loved me. And no question, I was a daddy's girl. I'm sure my mother did, but the way it was a little, <laughs> a little different. And so I grew up never feeling loved or worth being loved. And my father was a good influence, but they didn't get along well enough. He couldn't stay in it. He came home every night. He lived there. He did all that. I had a wonderful upbringing on the surface. You know, we nice house and anything I wanted. But they got along so terribly that my father would try to be out as much as possible. And I understood that, too. 
Mm-hmm. But that was my connection to what love must be like, and I couldn't get to it. So I was, I never, ever, ever remember feeling loved or good enough. And I always remember trying, 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 trying. And my perception of God was the only one that would take me as I am. But I had a church telling me, you're wrong. God doesn't take you as you are because you are a wretch undone. <laughs> right. Born thinking, original sin and you have to make up for it. Yeah, and, that, but you can you, never you, make up for it. You can't. No, you've got points against you and you, 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 all you can do is keep trying to, to, to get back to zero. And you could do good, but you're going to blink. Blinking is a sin. You're going to brush your teeth. Brushing teeth is a sin. So you're never going to make it. And so blah, blah, blah. And and so I thought, okay, there's one person out there that's going to love me. That's God. Because God is love. Now, I don't know how this works, but if if it's not with God, then it doesn't exist. There you go. I want to know what love is. And let's take a break and come back and figure it out because we're just the two people to do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Learn to put practical prayer to work in your life. The steps are simple to learn and let you begin to get real results to create the life of your dreams immediately. Reverend Bill Marcioni's widely acclaimed book, Practical Prayer for Real Results, gives you a clear summary of the new thought principles behind practical prayer and the series of easy-to-understand steps found in the most effective prayers from religions and spiritual practices all over the world and throughout history. Practical prayer is not a replacement for your religion or practice. It's a technique to make the work you do in consciousness even more effective. The book includes 40 prayers on various topics that you can adapt as needed and use as your own. Practical Prayer for Real Results is available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook on Amazon or at b-the-light.com. That's b-the-light.com. Prayer Podcast. I'm Carol Lawrence here with Reverend Bill Marcioni continuing this conversation. We're going to un- unravel something. I want to know what love is. Yeah, I want to know what love is. And when that's a plentive, whiny, pleading love song to another person, it means one thing. And when we stand in our truth and say, I want to know what love is, what we're doing is we're opening ourselves to, to an awareness of truth, capital T. And in this teaching, and I think in the universe, because this teaching is all about things that we have demonstrated to be true, Uh, a lot of it is empirical, which means that there's lots and lots and lots of stories about prayers working, about love being behind everything, about tremendous, wonderful coincidences happening. It's difficult to prove it scientifically because the scientists like to have placebo-controlled, double-blind, peer-reviewed study, and it's hard to repeat the results of a prayer or a spiritual activity in a way that pleases the scientists. So we'll just go with what we have come to understand. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about unity and oneness, which are both the same thing. 
Oneness means there is one, one creative power, one infinite intelligence, one source. It's God, it's spirit, it's source, it's nature, it's whatever was here before everything started to take on different form. And, you know, I like to go back to creation stories. That's my big thing. Because if we look at our creation story, whatever we think all of this came from, whatever our mind or our belief or our intuition tells us, whether it's the Big Bang or the story that's in Genesis or any other scripture, in the beginning there was only the one, that one infinite creative power, that singularity that then began sharing itself, expanding, exploding, reacting, whatever. And it's on the scientific timeline, it's 14.2 billion years of chemical and nuclear reactions to make all of this come about. And in the Garden of Eden, it's 6,000 years of God saying, let there be, and then creatures creating more creatures and begetting and begotting and all the rest of that. But it's whatever your creation story is, we can trace ourselves back to the one. So we live in a unity. Everything is that one taking its own particular form. The oneness is the fact that we are all connected. We can all trace our lineage back to the one. That sharing of self that the universe did, whether it was the cold explosion of the Big Bang or the infinite saying, let there be light and activating a creative law and sharing itself through that law. It's all love and law. Love is the answer and law is the way the answer shows up. It's all love. Everything is love. And sometimes it's really obvious that it is. That unconditional love of God is there because that's all that it is. It is all love unfolding and revealing itself in particular ways. And sometimes that love is revealing itself in ways that are really obvious. That's two people staring across, catching each other's eye across the room at a party and then spending the rest of their lives together. That is a way that love unfolds. And love unfolds by somebody who has an addiction problem going to a bar and imbibing too much and winding up on a three-day bender and then deciding that maybe that's not the way they want to behave anymore. And the bar and the bender and the person having the experience and the transformation that they have to say, I'm going to do something differently from now on, are all ways that love is revealing itself. And the infinite created the bar, <laughs> created the drunk, <laughs> created the scenario, created the opportunity for all of that to happen, and is standing there with pom-poms and cheering on. Yes, you go. You're going to be a drunk, be the best drunk in the world. <laughs> if you're going to be sober, be, be the best recovering alcoholic in the world. And if we do it mediocre, God says, yes. It's however we say that um, we are individualized manifestations or expressions of God. It's very poetic. I like words. And it's very sweet to say. But the reality of it is, is you have to live it, and it takes a minute sometimes to to do it. Um, I I and Gabrielle Bernstein's book I had read it before, and I kind of tossed it because it it had too much love talk in it. You know, it the, like, the universe has your back. Yeah, I I was just like I can't take all this. Stuff, stuff, stuff. <laughs> and so, so then we're, t we're we're doing this class. You started the class, and I'm. I thought, okay, I try to be in every class that I can that you're in. And I thought, here comes Bernstein's book. I am not interested in all this, you know, what she's talking. About. But what is love 
the expression of love to you or me? Okay, what is expression of love to me? Because she is passionate about it. And I am not passionate about her passion. <laughs> yep. But, but that's her, you know. And I said, okay, so what is it to me? And what would love look like to me? And I started thinking about that song. I want to know what love is. And I said, okay. So I love music. And I absolutely know that God speaks through music without a doubt. And I remembered one time when I was incredibly sad, very, very depressed. And I heard, you know, God say, you want to go to a concert? And I said, sure, I'm going to go. Now, this is in the context of meditation, so you can hear anything then. And I said, come on, we'll go to a concert. I said, cool, turn on that song that you like. And it's, it's a version of Pachelbel's Canon that I like. Mm-hmm. And I heard it in the, a way that I had never heard it before. Now listen to this. This is, and I hope I can get through this without falling apart. I heard every single instrument separately. Not just the wind section and the percussion. And, and the, I heard each in, instrument. And God was saying, that's me. This is me. Now I'm playing this, and now I'm playing that. And I thought, that's the manifestation of how God manifests himself or God's self individually through each person. Each person's excellence was expressed into the excellence of this piece that I love so much. That's beautiful. I thought, yeah, okay, okay. So now I get it. We're all in a drama. God's playing all the parts. <laughs> right, and, and assigning each of us as individual roles. You know, yes. there's got seven or eight billion of us that are like all going through whatever part we're supposed to be playing in this global drama. And to me, that was the expression of love because there's a role that is played by each person for another person that needs to hear it or needs to know it. So in that piece, in Pachelbel's canon, that piece, there are, I don't know how many musicians, I I didn't look that up, but let's say there are 70 Mm -hmm. to produce that kind of piece. There were 70 musicians through whom the excellence of God was expressed for me at that moment to know what love was. Beautiful. And I just said, okay, I'm not sad anymore. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> because if the universe, if God would do that for me, for just that moment, that day. I mean, I know other people hear that song and maybe it happened to them, whatever. But if all of that came together for me for that moment, that's what love is. Oh, that is beautiful. And some people, when they tell that story, they think of the conductor as being God. And in fact, all the instruments are God. And the conductor is an individualization of God because somebody needs to organize the musicians. And everybody in the audience is God. Because without that receptive audience to appreciate the music, it's a rehearsal. And then 
you can do that in the basement of the YMCA, but whoever it was that designed and built the concert hall is equally part of bringing that experience about. And the the orchestra foundation that paid for the whole thing and the people in the community who collectively decided that they are the sort of community that has a concert hall and a concert program, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and continues moving and moving and moving. And uh, Pachelbel's Canon was written a long time ago, and it has had the opportunity to stand the test of time. So it could be the genius of that piece of music, or the fact that that piece of music was created in such a way that it survived to the point where you can be in the room with that and have that experience of your connection with the one. Yeah, and and that's like when you kept going back layer upon layer, you know, just peeling it back when it started, it was reinforcing love even more and more and more. Because in whatever year it was that that happened, this little sister named Carol is going to need to hear this. Yeah. So all of these pieces have to be there. And I said, ah, I understand now. Yeah. And that story didn't happen then. Your experience of that story happened then. That story continues to resonate with you. And as we've discussed, that story had a huge lead up getting to the point where the still small voice could say, you want to go to a concert. And that brought the pieces together in such a way. Your mother and the experience that you had with your mother, that was love. And you can say, no, it wasn't dad. It was love with mom. It was a challenge because she didn't love me in a way that I understood it. And what that means is that you had to find a deeper, more elusive way of understanding love. If it had just been handed to you on a silver platter, you could have made assumptions, never paid any attention, and let your do- your, your head tilt to the, the side like a dog hearing a high-pitched sound when somebody talks about, I want to know what love is, and you could just say, well, it's obvious, and you gloss over it. And the fact that you've had this experience means that you are sensitive to that, attuned to that, and able to share with other people on a much deeper and more profound level. Well, you know what? And I'm always honest. When you first started to speak, I'm like, I don't want to hear this. This (laughs) I know. This was not, (laughs) you know, like I would have preferred. But when you you said that um, I understand it on a deeper level, it is, that is so. Because I, I approach my children, my own motherhood experience with no matter what happened, you will never live a nanosecond in this life not knowing that you have me unconditionally, no matter what. And all of your friends, by the way, that come to this house, which is why we had always had a house full of teenagers, mm-hmm. because I will be that which was not, that I didn't receive, which I thought was so important. And um, my daughter, she says, you know, I don't care what anybody said. We had... More love and attention. Sometimes we didn't even want all the attention that we got. (laughs) We needed attention we didn't want. So, And that makes me feel good because I know that I'm not doing what was... I'm I'm creating a different experience for others than I felt. Yeah, and that's all informed by the experience that you had growing up. And in the same way, you can look at the time that you spent 35 years on, you know, the pulpit of churches that you 
worked your way through, starting with fundamentalists and going to, as you were saying, Bible study five nights a week. And then that rang a little hollow. And now you're doing something different. And you can look at this time and say, oh, I wasted that 35 years. But you can also look at that and say, that 35 years has evolved my perception and my perspective to the point where I am ready to hear this and learn something new in a way that's much deeper and much more profound and much more helpful to the people around me than it would have been if I'd found this particular teaching when I was 25 and just did this. Yes, you would have had a different experience of your life. You'd be in a different place now, and that's not the point. The point is, this is the place where you are now, and there's a gift that's at hand. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, it's the way it is. You know, that's just, it is what it is. Yep, God knows what we're up to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I spent, and and I have permission to always tell this story, my oldest son, um, he encou- he had an encounter with the legal system, that's what I call it, uh, when he was in his early 20s. And uh, the charge was pretty serious, and, the, you know, it the sentence would have been 34 years. Wow. And um, people say, you know, you don't know your kids, right? I know my kids. I said, okay. I read, and I and this is, God, this is probably good for another podcast, but I was in paralegal school at the time and just got to criminal law That's that semester. And here he does what he did, supposedly. And so I was knee-deep in this study, and I said, okay, I can go through this with him because I understand everything. So I read the charges, and I read all the the depositions and everything. I said, now, I know my son. He did not do this. He did something, but not this, (laughs) but not this. And I went to the... um, he had a, a public defender at the time, and I went to everybody that I knew that I could get my hands on. And because I was a pastor, it, people were kind enough to at least listen. Right. And I gave, it, folks. I gave it all I had, you know, because you're, he is well over 21. Mothers have no business here, and I would not leave. And I'm telling you, they let me walk through this whole thing with this boy. And it was the longest pre-trial case in New Jersey history. Four years. Never went to trial. But every Monday, the first Monday of the month, was you had to show up for, for court. So for four years, once a month, we were in court. His dad, me, and that little knucklehead. And we never missed. One time I was sick, dad was there, dad was sick, and I was there. But other than that, it was, and everybody knew us. I saw judges change, the lawyer we had died, all of that. But (laughs) (laughs) it was a crazy time. But I'm saying that to say that unconditional love was that that little dude at the time, and he was still stupid. He was still doing crazy stuff while we're doing this, trying to get you through to keep you out of jail for 34 years. You are still doing stupid stuff on the side. But I went... (laughs) And I talked to God, and I said, this shall not be. And four years later, the last day, they said, you have to make a decision. We're going to trial, and you will lose. And I said, we will not lose. Will not lose. And my son will walk out of here free. 
And they told me I was crazy. But you know what? They let me stay for four years. I wasn't that crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I saw them put people out. You have no voice here. But I stayed. They let me stay. They had no and idea why. They had no And I got to tell you, it's not. I was a new thought then. I didn't have any idea why either. I just knew that you weren't putting me out, and I'm walking out of here with this boy, and we'll take care of him later. And we did. At the end of four years, we walked out. He was free. He got a felony, low-level felony. I argued it down. I, I argued I wanted a misdemeanor, and they said, they were calling me mother. <laughs> He said, we can't do this. I said, you can do anything you want to do. And anyway, so he walked out. That's the point. My son walked out, still a knucklehead that day. But I knew God. I knew that this was God making things okay. Yeah, and through you. And in New Thought, we call that, and actually Ernest Holmes said, we are able to look a fact in the face and know something better. Yes, and that's what you did. You spent you spent four years looking at the facts in the face and knowing something better, and just and holding that high watch, and then you walked out. I never at any time ever believed that I would be visiting him in prison. That just was not a part of my vision at all. Um, and that's another story for another time. But that was love to me, unconditional, mm -hmm. because you stick with your kid. Of course. But when your kid is still... Well, you being, did. Well, some, some people, people don't. Some people bail. I can't... I can't. But when your kid is giving you every reason to bail, you know, I got to find you to get you in court. I got to dress you so that you will make the right impression. I have to do that. And you're telling me you don't care. Get out of my face. You're getting on my nerves. And I had one thing going for me. I have always demanded respect. Always. And in your ugliest time, you will respect me. You will put these shoes on and you will get in this car and we are going. And if you don't, I will slap you down in front of the judge. So sometimes it was that, you know, but yeah. to me, that was love, right? Mm -hmm. That was love because we had to do this. And you keep it, you're keeping your eye on the ball. You're absolutely keeping your eye on, on where you wanted that to end up, which was not visiting him in jail and being able to walk out of there free. And that's the experience you created. I never cried. I, I never, the, the, the stat, the deposition was 200 pages and I read every word and I knew when his voice changed in it and everything. And I did not waver because this was my son. And when it was over, I just felt like I took a deep breath and watched him go off into stupid. I knew he was doing something. <laughs> but at least this part was over. So to me, that is, that's what love is. You know, yeah. you stick even through stupid. And, and worry about whether stupid will change later. Right now, we got to get through this. Yeah. Let's take a break and come back and do a prayer. It's not going to be about sticking through stupid. It's going to be a prayer about awareness of the oneness and the unity. Yeah. You can put practical prayer to work in your life, and Reverend Bill Marcioni can help. He is offering an online class that teaches you to create your own practical prayer in five weekly one-hour sessions. The final hour brings your practical prayer together, anchored in live original music by a notable New Thought musician. 
practical prayer is based on the most effective prayers found in religions and spiritual practices all over the world. Use it to deepen ever more fully into the truth of your spiritual nature. It's the core of a transformational spiritual practice that's simple, even if it's not always easy. Reverend Bill is also available for private spiritual counseling prayer sessions. Together, you'll lean into the challenges you've experienced in life and explore the transformation that's possible through practical prayer. He'll uncover old, hidden beliefs and uproot them to make way for the life of your dreams. Everything you need to know is on the website at b-the-light.com. That's b-the-light.com. Welcome back to the Practical Prayer Podcast. I'm Carol Lawrence, here with Reverend Bill Marcioni, and we're going to do a prayer. The prayer is going to be on oneness and unity. And those are both, as we've been talking, the same thing. Oneness is the nature of the universe. There is only one. And unity is our experience of that oneness, of about us being part of it and everything being part of the one. So the prayer is going to be for the awareness of that, and then from that place of awareness of the oneness of our unity, uh, to allow love and good and harmony to flow in our lives. And those can be different for everybody who's listening. Once we are aware of that infinite creative power and know that it's indwelling, everything is possible. Okay. So... And I'll surprise you this time. I'll say, let us pray. (laughs) (laughs) That would really be a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Because you pointed out that I don't do that. (laughs) That's okay. I don't think anybody, I've never heard anybody in New Thought say that. And I said it because you pointed out that nobody does. So I'll turn our attention away from the world around us, the things that seem so separate and individual and distinct and sometimes in opposition to each other. We live in a world of contrasts, and in order to see light, we need to have darkness so that we can have contrast. In order to have warmth, we need to experience cold. Up has a down, etc., etc. It's easy to be sitting where we're sitting now and understand where up is and where down is, but then we realize that we're all sitting on the surface of a sphere that's rotating in 24 hours that's moving around the sun and that's in a galaxy or a solar system that's moving through the galaxy at high speed and from different places just on planet earth up is in completely different directions so it is all a matter of perspective of how we are understanding or experiencing the world that informs what we are and the truth is either every direction is up or there is no up There is one infinite creative power, one presence, one love, one source in back of everything. That one is nature, it is spirit, it's God, it's the Big Bang. It's whatever we describe as the source from which everything flows. That oneness is, as we trace our heritage and our lineage and our experience back, eventually we get to that one the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, there was darkness and void and God saying, let there be light, activating that creative law and bringing all of this differentiation into being. Or the Big Bang, which 
started exploding and expanding and reacting and creating elements and then compounds and then molecules and then life, etc. All of that unfolding. It's all that one expressing itself in different ways. The unity is the fact that we are all part of that one. That infinite creative presence indwells everything. That's the unity. It indwells everything. And because it indwells everything, it indwells each of us. It's not inside of us. It's not inside of me. It is me. Everything that we are, everything that we experience is that one taking a different shape or form, creating a different experience. That love is at hand right here and right now. Everything that we're involved in is that divine power and presence revealing itself. And because it's all one, it all unfolds in a rich, delightful, divine harmony, sometimes in ways that are completely obvious, about being able to stand at the beach and watch the sunrise and just feel that connection with the infinite in our bones, in our heart, in our soul. And sometimes it's going through a multi-year challenge or battle or difficulty or discord to get to the point of understanding something new and something fresh and getting to that resolution and having the gift of that newness that comes about not in spite of the challenge that we've had, but as a result of the challenge that we've had. That is the way that harmony is unfolding. So I'm not inviting the years and years of discord and discomfort. I'm setting the intention for each of us now to be experiencing that harmony, that perfect fitting together, that experience of divine love right now in ways that are wonderful and uplifting and beneficial and positive. Whatever it is that we describe as positive for each of us individually and for all of us together, that good is available now and I'm claiming it. I'm claiming it in whatever way it's showing up opening the way, letting go of any doubt or hesitation, letting go of any fear, letting go of the thought that this is a process that's going to take some time to unfold. This is happening now. This good is at hand now, right now. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the good. I'm grateful for the stories. I'm grateful for the experience of love unfolding. And I'm grateful for the awareness of the creative law, knowing that I can speak this word of intention and release it into that law and know that the law is already responding. It is already creating this. It's underway now. And so it is. So it is. The Practical Prayer Podcast with Reverend Bill Marcioni and Carol Lawrence is a production of BeTheLight.com. Be-the-light.com. Where you can find more information about practical prayer for real results. Our theme is by Music of Wisdom. You can learn about the spiritual community of New Thought Philadelphia with daily guided meditations, weekly celebrations of spirit, and Reverend Bill's classes in practical spirituality at NewThoughtPhilly.org. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. We're grateful for your tax-deductible donation at newthoughtphilly.org or the link in the episode description.